0: We're back.
1: We're back. The one about we're the back. midwife and the OB.
0: Yeah. We've been taking extended hi- hiatuses. Is that the word? I don't know. We've both hi- been
1: busy. Hiati.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Uteri. I don't know. It all works together like that, maybe.
1: Yeah, yeah, so here we are. Here we are. Here we are. You
0: are you are babyless for a few. So we're gonna talk <laughs> about. I think just this idea of, of protocol, like this word and maybe how it applies to to us differently or not or what we have in common. I think it's kind of fascinating to think about this idea that like, there's a way to do things. I mean, and then there's also the, the deviation from that. So where to start?
1: Yeah, well, something came up in, the, in my collaborator program sort of group chat the other day, which was um, related to screening for GBS. And uh, GBS being group B strep, it lives in the vagina, lives in the anus, lives in the perineum, it lives on the vulva, it lives all over your body. If you carry it, you carry it. And the question is, you know, how do we screen for that bacteria? Because if it gets on the baby, the baby has a, a chance of getting sick. It's a low chance the baby gets it, even lower chance the baby gets sick. But We, as we discussed in our previous episode, we like to minimize risk down to zero, which is impossible. And oftentimes our efforts to reduce risk down to zero creates other problems. So so the the question then is, somebody out there uh, will study this, or ideally somebody out there studies this and then comes up with a procedure. Here's what we do for every woman in pregnancy to detect GBS and then to treat them all exactly the same. Pending a couple of little things, like if they're penicillin allergic, we give them a different antibiotic, for example. So so the protocol is that you swab them with this little q tip in the vagina, in the anus, kind of run it up the perineum, you send it to the lab, and if it has GBS on it. Your GBS positive and your doctor is very likely going to push antibiotics. And I say push because it's not really a conversation around whether you want it or not. It's, Hey, we're going to do antibiotics and a person has to push back if they don't want that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good point.
1: So here's our procedure. Our procedure is you collect the swab at roughly 35 to 36 weeks. If it comes back positive, you give antibiotics. Bingo. So every single person fits into this protocol. And, um, I think that's where we run into issues because the, the good boys and girls of the world love protocols. They love knowing that there's a way to do it, and they just have to pop in the information and the answer comes out the other end. So protocols and procedures can be helpful. They certainly can. There's a protocol for how to perform a C-section. If you cut this before you cut this, or you try to do this before you do this, you might end up in trouble. On the other hand, protocols and procedures also sometimes get in the way of our our sort of clinical decision-making, the the sort of thing that we train to do in school. So if you're a doctor, you've gone through all this school, and now you're just going to follow procedures and protocols? Is that really what we were training to do? Or were were we training to take information and then help, after conversing with our client, help them make a decision that's right for them, You know, engage them in that conversation so that they can make a decision that's right for them? So that's the, the basis, and I think that there are two powers at play here. One is somebody, some group of experts, presumed experts, probably self-proclaimed experts, has determined that this is the right procedure. The other side of it is now that that, that group of experts has uh, proclaimed this procedure and published it, maybe in the practice guidelines or whatever else, now and you have, this, you have a medical legal system, that will hold you accountable if you don't follow those procedures and protocols, which is a process of de-skilling clinicians, in my opinion. So what say you?
0: Mm. Wow, you hit on so many things. Uh, Lastly, just that idea of it needing to be a certain way so that it fits into legalities and insurance is, of course. Where we're at. I'm not surprised by that, but I'm always still mind-blown by that's the way we're caring for people. Right. On a grand scale. It's really, really disheartening. And I don't apologize for that. I think there needs to be those of us that are continually shocked by the lack of individuality in care for people. It's just really crazy. Yeah, I mean, protocol, it's like it's not bad to have a plan right? Like I'm not saying, Oh, just freewheel it. Everything is a creative endeavor. Like, no, there are sort of signposts or ways to help support someone through an issue. And I'm fully aware and supportive of there being things like testing or possibly medications. It's not about not using these tools. It's the role of the woman I think is the most important and where she sits because when we talk about protocol in this generalized way, even midwives, um, it's really not about her. It's about us. Uh, I remember years ago when I first applied for the CPM credential, which if you didn't know, I gave it back. I gave it back yeah. in June. I don't want it anymore. But I remember. Oh, you
1: your uh, CPM credential is gone. I didn't know I, that. Yeah. Oh, that's cool.
0: Yeah, I gave it back. I don't want to support them anymore. I have my own. You know our own version of midwifery here at Indie Birth that we want to grow that is not aligned with theirs. uh, You know the forced language and all that nonsense. So anyway, who is it
1: that you gave it when, back to? Like who? Who's the governing? Whoever the NAR? governing
0: agency is, the North American Registry of Midwives, oh, known gotcha. as NARM. Yeah, NARM
1: sounds like a yeah, <laughs> sounds like like the 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 like clumsy sidekick or something of like some evil villain in a cartoon or something uh, <laughs>
0: yeah darn it
1: Narm. yeah
0: well that's that's maybe a podcast for another time but uh when I when I received the certification you know 14 years ago or whatever that was part of it right is like and I'm sure this is no surprise to you but just for people out there you have to have protocols put together. And even then, although that was a long time ago, and I was a completely different person, I remember thinking, wow, like, this is cool, but also really challenging. Because when I was going through, you know, each thing like GBS or gestational diabetes, it already at that point in my life even felt like, wow, how do I have a way this goes when every woman is so different? It's so obvious in a sense. So I don't know, I'm babbling, but. I guess I'm always surprised by the fact that midwives, a lot of them are, are very much into this idea of like this is how it goes, and I really just always want to challenge that. It's not that I have all the answers; I just like to challenge people's um, way of doing things, really.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and really, uh, you know, at the when it, when it really comes down to it, these protocols and procedures are meant to minimize morbidity and mortality, right? If we didn't screen anybody for GBS. We would have occasionally a baby get sick and dies from GBS. So we want these protocols and procedures to minimize those risks to zero. But we we never will get to zero. Right. Because well, because just because it's it's not possible. Um it's sort of like saying, you know, hey, let's put seatbelts into cars and now instead of five and a hundred people dying daily from car crashes, now it's like one in ten thousand. But it's not going to get to zero because cars are dangerous. Being a human is dangerous. Childbirth is dangerous. And bacteria can be dangerous. Um, what these protocols and procedures don't take into account, again, the process is swab them, if positive, treat, period. Um, what it doesn't take into to account is that there's actually a risk of not following the procedure. And there is a risk of taking the intervention. So, you know, one thing that came up when we were talking about this recently was, well, instead of doing the swab in the vagina and, and, and anus, let's do a urine collection. If there's GBS in the urine, then there's a good, good sign that they, you know, a, 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 a good likelihood that, they're, that it's living in the vagina and, and, and anus. But that's actually not true, because the baby's not being delivered through the bladder. The baby's not being coming through the bladder. And I don't know if there's data that actually shows that that has as, just as high of, of sensitivity as the swabbing of the vagina and rectum, but that's actually not the point. The point is that we have a medical system or a legal system that is going to look to the standard of care, which is this these published procedures and policies or whatever, and it's going to say, oh, this bad thing happened. We need some to blame somebody, and this person didn't follow the procedures, so they're the one that's, that's responsible, even if you went to the patient and you talked about the downsides of treatment. Taking, you know, some... Perhaps broad spec antibiotics, you know, vancomycin, is one of the the medicines in the algorithm. Otherwise, amoxicillin, etc. Um, clindamycin. We're seeing res- resistance to these bugs in the communities. So by just kind of flippantly giving people giving people antibiotics is actually doing more harm in the long run than good. So so when you talk to a patient, you can say, yeah, there's a there's a low chance that that your baby's gonna get sick from this GBS. It's your choice, if you want it, then I will support you in that decision. But on the other hand, there's a whole bunch of downsides to taking antibiotics for your gut biome, for your baby's mm-hmm. biome, um, and for multi-drug resistant bugs developing in the community. So there is a downside to following the procedure. But if, if the procedure isn't followed, then the person who didn't follow it is going to be blamed by the medical legal system as being at fault. So what it always comes down to for me as a birth worker, if you're, if you're a birth worker listening especially, is that it is your client's decision. You need to give them the, the realities of doing a urine culture, the realities of doing a swab of the vagina and rectum, and in the realities of getting antibiotics. Like give them all of that information and then let them decide how much they want to adhere to the policies and procedures. And if you've done a good job of counseling, most people are going to say, okay, there's a low risk of this, there's a high risk of this, Let's go with the, uh, you know, the low risk thing, which might be just to not get antibiotics altogether. But it's not my job to say it's better to do this or that. It's my job to say, okay, you've made your decision. I'm going to document that. We've fully counseled them on risks and benefits. And now they've stood in their autonomy and the baby's going to come out and whatever happens is not on me. It's actually on the person who's who's giving birth.
0: Yeah, I love that. And that's the shift. I want to see. And that's where, and that's fine. I think we need more people that are willing to say and to, and to work with people in such a way that it makes sense to say, Hey, this is your choice. And like, yes, I will give you all the information I have, but I also don't know everything. And you know, there will be stones unturned. So I'm here to support you. Um, but even from the very beginning, like, is this something you're wanting to test for at all? Like, I have very few people um, in my, you know, I hate to say practice, I don't really love that word. But like, in my service, <laughs> um, that ever, ever choose that kind of stuff. And you know, some of them, it's not a huge discussion, because just intuitively, they're like, No, nope, not for me. It's not relevant to me. And I also have to respect that I don't force a discussion discussion on them. It's not like, Oh no, you absolutely must know the nitty gritty of everything about this bacteria before I allow you to not make a choice. Like sometimes the protocol is not interested. Uh, and so I can support that or I could choose not to support that. Like, but yeah, it kind of throws it all out the window when you work with people in that way, just to have things be kind of irrelevant to them and, and to be okay with that.
1: Well, yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of people out there that are taking, like, defensive medicine courses, and they think it's improving oh their midwifery practice and whatnot, and it, perhaps it is. Like, perhaps in some way, I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Perhaps it is helpful to understand how to document how your conversation went so that somebody can look at that and say, clearly, the patient had made their decision, the client made their decision, they exercised their autonomy. There is nothing wrong with that, and sometimes bad things happen in childbirth. Fine. But the problem with the, with with um, myopically looking at documentation as merely a means of defending yourself in court, and this is where I know you and I definitely agree, is that you stop thinking for yourself. You stop actually turning to your patient and, and your client and talking to them and really trying to help them understand what the pros and cons of any intervention are. And instead, you're like, well, that's the procedure. That's what I have to do based on NARM, based on the CDC, based on you know, Donald Trump, like (laughs) whoever came up with the policy, this is now the way it's done. And I am merely a technician executing those policies and procedures. That is not our job. Mm. These are meant to be helpful. and, And what I always tell people is, that you know, somebody will call me out and be like, he doesn't practice according to ACOG, get him. And I'm like, yeah, fucking right. I don't like those are not. This is not the Ten Commandments of how to have a baby or how to attend to somebody who's got an infection or whatever else. There is no set-in-stone rule for how a doctor, a midwife, a nurse, anybody should practice. What there are are guidelines. The guidelines are floating out there, and they're there to help guide your practice. They are guidelines. They're not the statutes of medicine that say this is how things are done. Now, if you choose not to follow the guidelines, you should have some good reasons for not doing that, and you should be counseling your, your client as to why you maybe don't like that procedure and protocol. But this is not uh, a an instruction book as to how to be a birth worker or a women's health you know, practitioner. And when people slip into that space, they run into more trouble than they realize, because it takes critical thinking out of it, and the guidelines can't possibly cover everything. So, if there's no mention of that in the guidelines, then you start running around like, "What do I do? What do I do?" That's the guidelines are not your uh, saving grace. You are the practitioner. You're the one who's actually responsible here. These are just guideposts along the way.
0: Yeah, uh, I think the woman is actually responsible in my world, and yeah. you know, again, I know that's not everybody, and there are people that are like, "Oh, well." you know, I can't, like I work at a hospital or I work at a clinic and it's like, yeah, I get that. So we're talking about maybe just an entirely different way of approaching the world and and working with different people. And I do honor that. Um, But I think, you know, as a, as a general discussion, my hope for the planet is that more people could start to realize their own autonomy and their own power. And maybe that would start to shift because, gosh, I know there are so many great doctors out there and midwives that feel they have to practice defensive medicine. And I just feel like that's sad. It's really freaking sad that that's how it's come to be. And that these are people who must be so scared to go to work every day. And I just really wish that could shift. So I'll keep wishing, but I'll also just you know keep doing what I'm doing and you'll keep doing what you're doing. And maybe there's people out there that are like, oh, I really didn't think about it that way. And maybe if I want to work that way, then I have to make these changes. I have to make these shifts. Like, I don't have to keep going working with people that like want to point a finger because I know that there are those people out there too. So defensive medicine didn't just come out of nowhere. It came out of this idea to blame people. And you know, that's fundamentally what needs to shift.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, if, if you. (laughs) 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 <laughs> so much I could say about that. Um, that was well said. If you're attending to a birth, if, if, if <laughs> let me put it this way, if your job makes you so afraid that something bad is going to happen, let's say birth working, if, be, if being a birth worker makes you so afraid that something bad is going to happen or that you're going to get sued, then you need to find a new job.
0: Yes, that's what I mean.
1: You're not the person to show up for a birth because you like, end up, wh- Yeah. you use language, you posture yourself, you have all this nonverbal language that communicates that you you don't feel safe. And if you don't feel safe, then this person that you're attending to can't feel safe. So keep it cool, calm, and collected. Like Stu and David Hayes and Rick Saffries are always talking about with Breach. Like, yes, it's a buck coming out.
0: Right. Take a breath.
1: Chill the <laughs> fuck out and take a breath. Grab an iced tea and come back and like, you you got this. The woman's yeah. got this. If you are the one panicking in the room and if everything you say seems like you're defending yourself in the courtroom, you are not going to lead them down the path of having an empowered birth, period. It's not to say you shouldn't document. Just document it. Just say, we discussed risks, benefits, alternatives. She chose this. Don't, we don't have to harp on it. We just need to do our job, which is to show up for them in integrity and if we start feeling afraid, then we need to maybe pass them on to somebody who's not afraid. And if you find that every single time you go to a birth, you're really afraid of something bad happening, you need to do some inner work and figure out what that is. Because we as birth workers are special because we're not afraid. We walk into the oven and it's really hot in there. And a lot of other people don't want to do that. Right. So so there are good reasons to be thoughtful about how you're counseling and how you're documenting. But that is the extent of it, you know am um, saying, you know, midwives say things to me like, I ordered that test. The, the, the client reaches out to me and says, I'm upset that they ordered that test. Well, midwife, why did you order that test? Well, I'm not going to have her birthing under my care without that test. Okay, why did you get the test? Well, I'm worried about these things happening. Okay, now the patient knows that you're worried about something, but you haven't even communicated to them what you're worried about or why you ordered the test. So this is a strange, like a, a small, you know, a, a, a sort of ex- small example, but, but really when that is your entire pregnancy care, if it's being provided by somebody who's just ordering things because they're backing up their ass, you're no different from the OBGYNs and midwives working in hospitals, period. That's why your C-section rates are so high. That's why our intervention rates are so high because, you know, the fear of something bad happening. Well, this is not a space for fear there are things that bad things that can happen but it's still not a place for fear. And actually no. the work of a midwife or a, a you know a, a birth keeper an obgyn in my opinion but god it's we I'm there are very few of us out there like this. Your job is actually the work of of you is to take all that stuff you know and then do whatever the inner work is that you have to do in order to feel confident and safe uh secure in your practice and your skills yeah. which can't come from a place of fear.
0: No. And that's why I love you. It's so true. That's it's so I true. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, it's fear in every way. And like, you know, to just touch on the whole defensive thing again, like we all have stuff to work through. Like that's, that's just the world we live in. Like we've come a far away from the witch hunts, but not really. (laughs) So like, we're constantly working through it. Like if you're listening to this, don't think that we're not like, it's a daily practice. But I think if you're constantly like seeing yourself in that courtroom, defending yourself, like that is something to look at. Like, if you're seeing that all of the time, every time you look at a woman, and every time you get a test result back, that's a big deal. So take it as a sign, like you're saying to kind of do the work. Um, because birth doesn't need any more fear, especially the last couple of years. Like, you know, we were kind of uh, off off recording talking about nervous system and just kind of how that's really changed for yeah, people. Yeah. And and it includes all of us, not just birthing women. Like our nervous systems are kind of fried and we're all needing to go the extra lengths to get ourselves back together. So anyway, that does have to do with protocol, I'm sure, in the end. Protocol, right. fear, Yeah.
1: Well, you know, I, if, if everybody was like you, we wouldn't really end up being, you know, we previous in our previous episode, we talked about this COVID thing and, you know, there was prior to that, I'm sure we talked about masking at first or not masking. And, and then of course we had kind of evolved through the shedding conversation. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff that isn't known out there and, um, to not beat a dead horse, but I'm sure we're going to be beating it for the next like 50 (laughs) years. Yeah. Right. Like when these big midwifery conferences came up. And every midwife, you you renegade, powerful, (laughs) wise woman birth keepers, you just said, yes, sir, I obey you. And you popped your face rag on and you walked in (laughs) to your conference. And then, to go back to the witch hunts, the best way to not be burned at the stake to be a witch is to call out other people. So midwives are calling out others for not wearing masks and all this other stuff. Like, this horizontal violence has actually been to the detriment of the feminine for millennia. Sure. And so we had an opportunity these past two years to just simply say, fuck the procedure. Like, this is stupid. I want to be able to connect with this person just like I did and lost my job back in September about a year ago. Like, fuck sure. the procedure. This person needs somebody to, like, love them. They haven't seen a face, had a, had a heart close to their chest for, for 18 months. That's the right thing to do. So fuck the procedure. Sorry for my language, everybody, but fuck it. And uh, I've gone through some very dark periods of anger, of resentment, of shame, of guilt. And you have to wash that away because at the end of the day, this is not a matter of, of, uh, I don't walk into any room to take care of somebody afraid that something's going to happen. That just doesn't work. That's not what care providers do. You are actually the beacon of hope for them. Right. And if you're going to show up and, and have certain conditions as as to, um you know, what things you are uh, willing to or not willing to do, then that's okay. And I think this is actually relevant to our previous conversation because it's not that you're afraid of something bad happening, but you have to set boundaries. You're like, I'm not going to go into this space being afraid and caring for you if you got the jab, knowing that something bad might happen. It's just not something that I'm comfortable doing. Yeah. And, and I think that that's that's okay. But if you are going to show up and you're going to be in a hazmat suit with a mask and everything else, and the person's like, what the fuck is this? Like, can you just take care of me? Like, oh no, 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 no. Policies and procedures. That's where we end up. That's where we end up with a problem. And that's why so many people are seeking us out is because it's your decision. Yeah, the, the responsibility and the outcome is on you. I'm right. just here to support you.
0: Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the new paradigm, you know, and it's a different choice of vocabulary. It's a different vibration. It's not saying again, throw it all out the window. There's no, you know, there's no way this looks for this woman. It's just saying fear sucks. And this word protocol is more about us because we're afraid and we're going to really look at that. And we're going to start listening to people and together we'll figure this out, but we just can't keep going, um, down this weird path of like, we're always the authority, you know, even midwives, it's like, get off your high horse. You know, you might know more and you do most likely than the person you're caring for about pregnancy and birth, but get off your high horse and look at her as an individual and figure out, you know, how to make this work. And if things come up that you're not comfortable with, then there's boundaries. So it really all makes sense to me. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, I think we're over time. I I, I think I'll just leave it with that. I think that was a really great way to end.
0: All right. Nice seeing you,
1: friend. Good to see you, too. We'll be in touch, okay?